Contract, a Commander podcast. I'm Mike Almond, and joining me is my co-host Alex Lap. Alex, what's up, man? Not too much, Mike. Happy to be here. And uh, today we have some New Year's resolutions for Magic. Yeah, it's it's been a long year, both literally, uh, it certainly um, has, and uh, but also in in our spectrum, you know, in the spectrum of Magic, it's. Man, there's been a lot of stuff going on, and I think it's a good time for us to kind of compartmentalize and see what we think is good for us and the format going forward. So we're both going to make some, like you said, New Year's resolutions for the game of Magic, for the way that we're going to go into the New Year and some goals that we've got. Some easy stuff, some hard stuff, and uh, maybe some silly stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump the queue here and yeah, say for sure. my my first New Year's resolution is uh, to play Magic at really at all. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and blame COVID. Obviously, you can't really play Magic in person with anybody, um, and I'm usually decently averse to to playing Magic online, um, just because I tend to play a more political style of deck, and just to be upfront about it this is in my experience it may not be in everyone's experience political decks don't really seem to function very well online because part of a political deck is establishing that rapport right with your pod and building up the like hey i'm doing things to benefit other people like we're all in this together or cutting a deal stuff like that people just kind of intrinsically trust you less online and and for some people's metas that are like non-political um i'm so sorry but also you you may have just experienced this normally (laughs) that's uh it's it's just different metas online and and those metas don't tend to be they just kind of want to play the game out and and that's not really how i like to play mike i like to play with uh with that political slant and i feel that that works a lot better in person how do you feel about that I agree with you. I mean, it's it's being able to look somebody in the eye and convey the actual intent of what you're doing rather than just the words. Yeah, it's been it's been a rough year for yeah. for that to be a, a possibility. And yeah. I mean, we we obviously don't have to go into the details. Everyone has lived it. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do recognize that uh, street even paper magic streaming online with the. Uh, the four different windows uh, for the top down has gotten pretty popular. Um, I, I've done a lot of uh, Cockatrice is one of the apps that I use to do free magic online and play with people over Discord. And I, it, you know, if if you've got a group and you and you want to try and get some stuff going, heck, if you wanna, if you want me to help you test out some stuff, you just let me know. And we'll figure out something, man. I understand. It's it's the online magic can be pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options. Um, you've got like Magic: The Gathering online. You've got Spell Table. Uh, you've got 
just uh, playing with the the webcam top down, like in Play EDH Discord. Um, you have cockatrice, like Mike said. You got tabletop simulator. That's uh, that's one that I'm quite fond of, where you just have the entire table is virtualized. And yeah, you've you've just a ton of options, but I really have not been taking advantage of those. And maybe I should. Uh, maybe just give it another shot. That's my that's my first New Year's magic resolution, Mike. It's a good one. Uh, I mean, if your if your resolution is do more of the thing that you like doing to the point where you're making a podcast for it, I, I think that's a good place to start. Right, right. Uh, um, one of my first resolution is actually um, I'm, I'm trying to do too many things that I like. I'm I'm going to condense my decks that are a similar theme. So we've talked about it. I'm not at 20 decks yet, but I'm fast approaching it. And if you include the the blueprints for decks that are in my head as well, I'm probably closer to 30. Mm. But just because I have a lot of ideas and just because I've got the cards to at least make the shells of some decks, I, I don't need four equipment decks. You know, I don't need... I don't need five group hug decks. I I can have group hug. Hear me out. <laughs> I can have decks that have group hug in them, and almost all of my decks have at least some group hug in it. But I don't need to have all of these decks that run a similar theme mm-hmm. and do different versions of the same thing from each other and diversify the amount of cards that I have. Because it does one of two things: either a, I'm buying re, I'm I'm buying extras of the same card, which in some cases in fine is fine. In some cases, I'm spending extra money to not switch it out or not make myself a proxy or any of those things, and that it, that gets that's just taxing both physically and financially after a while. Of course, but at the same time, I'm. If I'm not doing something different with these decks, then I have almost a clear favorite every time I sit down to play, which mm-hmm. means I'm not playing the thing that I would have the most fun playing if I play something other than that deck. So just because they exist, just because I can make it, doesn't mean that I should. Maybe condense that down. If I've got you know, four or five Boros equipment decks or things along those lines... Maybe that maybe whittle that down to two, because Boros needs help as it is. I don't need to stretch it any thinner than I already am. I just need to gain control over some of the decks that I'm currently dealing with. What do you think, Alex? Well, Mike, I think that's uh, that's a good resolution for you because you have just a ton of decks, and that's really fantastic. We're kind of the odd couple in, in that one where I only I, I've only just now within the past month or two built my seventh deck um, because I tend to have almost the opposite problem. I want to build decks that are extremely unique. I have this real preoccupation with making a deck that no one's ever thought to make before. And I also have a restriction where I won't make more than one deck with the same color identity. Um, and, and maybe these two things hurt me, but what what has happened is, like I said, that I kind of have the, the opposite issue where I don't have that many decks, but that every one of my decks is extremely unique. 
and I don't really have, uh, I mean, I do have ones that I prefer, but I don't have like a clear favorite. I mean, I have how many, four group hug decks now, and they're all completely different uh, styles of group hug. Have the Kaneos and Tiro, just generic group hug and tokens, lots of, lots of good stuff group hug. Then we have the artifacts group hug, uh, which is probably not even live yet. When are we going to release that one? Then we have um, Venifar with all the creatures, and it's only creatures. Toolbox group hug. And, and then we have the new Belbay one with like a, sort of a group hug, group slug thing. So all my decks are very different, and I don't have that many of them. Um, and that kind of rolls right into my next uh, New Year's resolution, which is to, to build more decks. Specifically, the first one I would like to build is a, is a mono white deck. And it's not like I'm avoiding building a mono white deck, because... I built a colorless deck, which is objectively more restrictive and more taxing and gives you fewer choices than a mono white deck. Um, but I want to build a mono deck, mono white deck my way, right? I don't just want to build, you know, value and good stuff. Um, I want to come up with something, something interesting, something that strikes me and, and make something out of that. Like I, I talked about this briefly with you, but uh, might be interested in in something like uh, mono whites, like hate bear tribal, yeah. Um, with uh, with Elish Nord as the commander, um, it nothing has really jumped out to me as of yet, and that's that's really the main reason. I I'm very complacent. I don't want to make a deck unless I'm really inspired to make a deck, and sure. I've kind of been hoping right over the over the year of commander, which is what 2020 was that a mono white commander would jump out at me and none of them really have mike um do you have a do you have a mono white deck i don't um because i the only one that i've ever considered making was the uh the new heliod and Mm -hmm. that one sorry two that i've considered the heliod uh deck it felt too combo-y to me yeah, it's a very competitive. Yeah, commander. and yeah. and that's that's absolutely not me. Right. Um, and then the other one was SRAM, and I didn't because, as we've already talked about, I already have too many equipment decks. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I turn that into a vehicle deck and, and just play <laughs> the really weird way and just there just aren't in that all many cars. vehicles. Like, no, there's, there's not. There's vehicles in uh, in in Kaladesh, right, and and uh, Ether Revolt. And then there's there's a few more, but it's not like they went back and errated like um, Urza's pumpkin carriage to be a vehicle, right? Whatever sure. card that is. Uh, so there's no there's no like back catalog of vehicles that you can like go and plumb the depths of. Um, which that's a that's another issue, right? Is that there's so many <laughs> interesting and unique things that you can come up with, but. Do, you have the do those ideas have the support? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you don't just need the supply to make it work, right? If you have, let's say that you have a tribe that mm-hmm. that you want to build, but there's only like 30 or 40 of them. And that's that's a pretty well-supported tribe as far as tribes go. Oh, yeah. I would say that like the bottom half of tribes probably have one or two creatures in them each. Um, And there's so many. But let's say that your tribe has like 30 creatures in it. Um, 
if you build that deck as tribal, all of your decisions are already made for you, Mike. And that's yeah. that's not how I want to build a deck. I want to make choices for me, right? No, and that's the point. And that's that's also kind of you're you're tying what you were talking about as far as wanting to make unique decks. And when you talk about making a mono white deck, it almost it almost makes it more of a I want to do this resolution as a challenge mm-hmm. than because it fits why I like magic and why I like deck building because there's not a mono white commander that's really speaking to you at this moment. So first right. of all, wizards help us out. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I get that. I get wanting to do that just because if you can make it good, great. That means you've made a good mono white deck. And I mean, actually that's pretty unique in its own way. Um, but I, I appreciate the thought. Um, when you talk about cards and wanting to do something that doesn't necessarily synergize because of the card pool that exists, whether it's just the ones that you have or the ones that are available in the world, mm-hmm. um, that actually kind of leads me into my next one. Um, I want to make custom commanders. So I found uh, this... Uh, person on Etsy that basically says, hey, give me a photograph, high-resolution photograph, and what text you want, and makes really nice-looking holographic magic cards. And I thought it would be really fun to make a commander for my playgroup. And I got to thinking, it's like, you know what? That would be really fun for me, because you know what I can't look up? I can't go on EDH rec or Scryfall <laughs> or anything for a commander that doesn't exist in the right. actual format. So that would be a fun deck building. No crutching. Yeah, it would be it would be fun for deck building for me. It'd be fun for them. Plus, I mean, Alex, tell me you wouldn't want to have a commander that was you. Like that'd be great, right? I don't know if I'd want a commander that's me, but having a custom uh, commander and custom magic cards that's just kind of a a delight and and there are many great resources that you can use to to mock those up for example magic set editor is a, mm-hmm. is a windows program that's very good with that there's also um, some online programs that can make similar quality um, of custom cards but yeah custom uh, custom cards and custom commanders are really fun and they're really easy to break and make yeah. really just silly stuff that's way too overpowered. Um, and then I have my own separate issue, which is have you templated it properly? Because that's like, you know, like a a splinter, right? Like you. Oh yeah. Is does it does it say that uh, whatever the effect has? Does it say it in its in its proper Oracle text language? Uh, which obviously doesn't matter if you're just having fun with your custom cards. But for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's not written correctly. <laughs> no, don't worry. When I actually get to the point that they are ready to go through to, pr- to the printing press, uh, I, I, I'm going to have you make uh, do the once-over as a judge <laughs> to Hooray. every one of them and make sure. But what you're saying, it, it, like you said, they absolutely can break... Um, they can break the format pretty easily. So mm-hmm. I shouldn't do the card where 
my commander gives affinity for artifacts and artifacts that you have have affinity for artifacts and cascade and just all that nonsense i should i should chill a little bit i don't know why you would even make that <laughs> that doesn't seem like something that you would want to to play oh, oh don't but worry i wouldn't <laughs> something to something to keep in mind is that um this is this is something that you would arrange with with your pod, with your playgroup, mm-hmm. right? This is not something that you would walk up to a group of people that you've never walked up to before and say, "Hey, this is my custom commander deck." You, I mean, you need to you need to come up front and say, "Hey, this is my custom commander. I would like to For run sure. it." But if you say no, I already have a legal backup, right? right. And you don't want to be the guy who's like, "Oh, come on, let me do." No, if you have a custom commander. Have the backup ready, and if they say no, do not press it. Just pull out your regular commander, please. Yep. This is this is more of a just a, a belated gift to my playgroup because I miss them, and all of this sucks. Oh, yeah. So here you go. Look forward to this in the future. I miss what do you my got for your next? What do you got <laughs> for your next one, Alex? Uh, my next one is is quite similar. I have. Uh, not similar to yours, but similar to my previous resolution. I make a 100 lands deck. Yeah. Now, this is something that isn't technically possible. You can make a 99 lands deck because there are no commanders that are also lands. The upshot is that with the printing of MDFC's modal double-faced cards, there are now way more cards that have a land face on them that can now be put into a 100 lands deck. Because I've, I've compiled a list, um, this is prior to, to MDFCs, and there are very, very few land cards that are also spells prior to that. There were the transforming ones from Ixalan, and there's... Um, that's a... Uh, uh, so Westville Abbey from uh, from mm-hmm. Innistrad. Yeah, that one transforms into a creature. So for this deck, it'd be anything that uh, has a land type on it or transforms into a land or is a land that transforms into something else. Those are all kosher. Um, but it was really sparse, right? Like I needed, there's very little, there's very little land ramp in lands, right? There's very little ramp at all. Um, there's very little card draw, there's very little mana sinks, like, I had to run every man land in, in this blueprint. But with these MDFCs, and they added, what, like, 12 of them? I forget how many they actually added, but they added a decent amount. Around that much, yeah. It, it definitely has become a lot more viable, and, and I realized that by, by having to run all those, it kind of reduces the, uh, the uniqueness of the deck, but... I think that, that this would be a very interesting challenge for me, and um, and and I like having a unique deck. Like I've never seen a ninety-nine lands deck. Um, I know that some people will run uh, Ashling the Pogrom Mono Red with uh, ninety-nine mountains, which uh, <laughs> is is a board wipe tribal mono red mm-hmm. commander that just burns out the whole board. That's that's not very interesting to me when i say 99 lands i'm talking about like okay yeah i'll have the normal mana base with the lands attack for mana but i'm also going to be running just a crap ton of utility lands and lands that do 
wacky and weird things that are spell-like effects um, just to because you can't run any spells. So yeah, I've rambled long enough about that. I'm, I'm interested in, in trying this and I would be interested to see if I can make it work because it would be very weak. It's very difficult <laughs> to make a 99 lands deck and, and have it be able to sit at the table. Sure. That would be a big challenge for me. Have so, you ever thought about anything like that, Mike? So I've thought about it. Um, like it, there, there's no, like you said, I can't, I, I don't, there's no commanders that are a land in the command zone. But you know the when you mentioned this to me, the first ones that came to my mind was were, were okay. A Rick Smithies would work. You want a five color commander for sure. Yeah, I know it was. But I I was sitting there. It's like okay, I guess those kind like those aren't lands, but they could be. When you were saying a hundred lands, I'm like, man, that's that sounds like it would be difficult. The, I wouldn't <laughs> want a mono colored. But but I I get what you're saying now, so I appreciate you explaining it that way because I I was. I was worried about your sanity for a second there. Right. Um, the closest thing is uh, is Genju of the Realm is a legendary enchantment aura. And in the original printing of the card, because of, of how enchantments used to be templated, the type line originally read legendary enchant land, because auras used to have that in the type line and not in the, in the rules text. Twisting like... <laughs> Several uh, several allowances, right? It's, like, yeah. Okay, would you of... would you allow me to run a legendary enchantment as a commander? Right. And on the physical card, it says it's a land, even though it's not. And then it's a <laughs> hundred lands. But I don't really want to run Genju of the Realm, to be honest. Right. It's a couple of degrees of separation to get almost to what you would want to do, but not really. Yeah. So, so we'll call it the ninety nine lands deck. I I think that would be more suitable for your needs, buddy. <laughs> Um, when you make that, let me know because that sounds bonkers, and I'm I'm kind of all about it. Um, I I have a resolution to make a deck as well, and I mean we've talked about it. I, we I have. I don't want to spend a lot of time about on this because it it hurts for me to even say. Um, but yeah, no, I need to I need to make a stacks deck. Um. So grand Calcutron. Grand Calcutron is is it, when I go full stacks. That's the one I'm gonna make because it again it just seems so. What an incredible deck that would be! It just seems so silly, and at this point, it's not just. So hear me out, okay? Alex, come over, come over to the side with me. We're gonna let all of our right, listeners what, not listen. What, for what do we got going on over here? Okay, so here's my right. problem. It's at this yeah. at this point, it's not just that the Grand Calcutron is like a stacks deck. It's not just the stacks. It's this commander, if I make it bad, and this deck isn't isn't fun or good, it's gonna be so bad. <laughs> and now dealing with that like hurdle of, hey, I need to make this thing that I don't do, and if I do it wrong, it'll be the worst. And I'm also going to do it with the weirdest commander that I can find. <laughs> So the the degree of difficulty for it is a lot higher than I'm comfortable with with my deck mm-hmm. building skills. But I have to do it because the alternative is like I, I can make the I can make the Joyra uh suspend deck but make it stacks and the weirdest or I can take any of the you know the standard Azorius uh 
stacks and and taxes kind of thing and you know all of that that's a little bit too much for me that's a bridge too far but grand calcutron i want to make it i i just i have to be in the right headspace to make that one work man <laughs> no absolutely and there are there's are some very unique options for stacks like grand calcutron there's um you got like Shieldred could be kind of a mono black stacks, but you have Dosan the Falling Leaf from Kamigawa, which says that uh, each player may cast spells only on their turn. Um, Monogreen stacks is another one of those that's like really interesting, but there's not enough support for it because every Monogreen stacks deck has to run the same stacks pieces. There's just not enough. Right. Um, the same with with mono white, right? Like if you want to make a mono white deck and you need of ramp package, you got like 10 choices before you start hitting mana rocks. Um, and card draw, you got like another 10 choices. Like, you don't get to pick for, for stuff like this. But Grand Calcutron, the sky's the limit, right? Like, you can yeah, you can do some wacky stuff. Um, I think that if you wanted to temper it a bit, mm-hmm. you'd have some, some table card draw in there, symmetric oh, card draw, sure. because that allows people to bump things to the front of their program alter the um, order etc yeah exactly it, it doesn't quite lock people out quite as bad and yeah. then you can punish them for drawing those cards but you know um i i eagerly await to see the grand calcutron deck i've i've of course thought of making one myself but it's uh i think i'll leave that one to you so please uh let me know when when you have anything to share yeah, it, it it's similar. The only, the real actual problem, as I as I make my jokes and everything, the real actual problem is when we talk about um, it's hard to do politics in mm-hmm. an online setting. Mm-hmm. The idea of doing the Grand Calcutron, um, everybody's that's how you get people handy. to turn their turn their webcam off and just sign yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> I I do feel like the first time that I play that commander i'm gonna take what would be about an hour game and probably turn it into a three hour game or the game is gonna immediately end for me because someone's gonna say no this is complicated let's kill mike um but it is you have to be the the table police too right you have to you have to enforce that people are only playing the the leftmost card in in their in their hand their program and that's annoying, right? That you have to be watching every other player to make sure they're playing by the absurd rules of your stacks commander, right? Your silver border <laughs> stacks commander. So that's that's something that I feel would go over much better. Is like, like okay, everybody get out your silly commanders because here's Grand Calcutron, and you do it in right. person. Yeah, right. it, it would make a difference. So our last resolutions that we've got here are are they're magic based, but they're a personal. Um, mm-hmm. outside of the actual cards one. So they're, they're real-life resolutions at the same time, which is always nice. Uh, Alex, why don't you go ahead and start, man? Sure, Mike. Um, my personal resolution for New Year's Magic is to complete my certification to become a Level 2 judge. Um, over the past year, I have been uh, continuing my education as a judge Unfortunately, I've not been able to attend conferences or judge tournaments for uh, pretty obvious reasons, but I have been taking advantage of the online courses on Judge Academy, which is the uh, the governing body for Magic Judges at the moment, 
And as we speak, I am very near to completing all of the prerequisites to be permitted to take the level two test. And that's going to be a pretty difficult test, Mike, because <laughs> I mean, it, it's, uh, it's going to have a lot of stuff that I'm not very comfortable with, which is not rules. Um, because I, I do feel that I'm extremely comfortable with the rules of the game, but it's the IPG, the infraction procedure guide, which is okay. always been very difficult for me. So a magic judge needs to have, uh, two bodies of knowledge, right? Like they need to have a very good understanding of the rules of the game, right? Uh, that's the magic comprehensive rules, the MCR. Yeah. Like, okay, this card interacts with this card. What happens? Um, like, what do you do when this happens? But then you have the tournament procedures, right? Mm-hmm. What do you do if uh, somebody drops their hand face up on the table? What do you do if somebody draws too many cards? Oh, okay. uh, what, are, what are the specific steps that you take? And what is the infraction that you assign to each player? for any given situation that in itself is not trivial at all. It's an entirely, it's like learning how to be a referee at, at a children's basketball game. Like, sure. It's, you know, it's a basketball game and it's not like the NBA, but you have to know exactly what to do in every situation because you can't like, hang on, let me check the rule book to see if I got to put this kid in timeout. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. <laughs> so that, that's that's the other half, and that's the part that I'm much less comfortable with. Um, from playing so much EDH for so many years um, and just answering questions on Discord and answering questions from friends and playing it in person and, and sort of informally judging at Commander Friday Night Magic all this time, Mm-hmm. Like you know, EDH, anything can happen. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know that that it's a, a common joke that if you ask a judge a question about um, humility and opalescence, their blood runs cold. But that's <laughs> that's like Tuesday for commander players, right? Like that's right. that's the kind of thing that we just deal with. But so that's the part I'm comfortable with. I'm a lot less comfortable with the IPG, and I need to to be extremely comfortable with the rules of infractions to uh to to pass that l2 test so that's my resolution for uh, for this year a little bit more complicated than mike sending you a random text message of hey how does the stack work and stuff like that man i'm rooting for you i know you got this uh i appreciate it it's like it (laughs) hey it's we're always studying so good for you for having having something you're studying for that you you're passionate about and want to get done um for me, and this is actually a resolution for both of us because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. roping you into it as well. Um, so we started this pretty late into uh, 2020. This this project of ours, the podcast. Um, I'm I'm making a commitment to record at least 45 episodes with you in 2021. Um, I understand, and we've had to deal with this already with some schedule conflicts. Uh, things happen but i want to commit to you i want to commit to our listeners that this is something i really enjoy doing it can be a decent amount of work but it's good work it's fun work so i want to know that hey buddy or i want to say that hey buddy i'm here for you people listening i'm here for you talk to us we're going to be around because this is a lot of fun, and we hope that you're having a lot of fun too. 
And Alex, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to have this fun. It's always my pleasure, Mike. And and this is something that I really enjoy and look forward to. And like you said, sometimes we do have schedule conflicts. Things happen in real life. And that's always disappointing when we can't record uh, a new episode. But I'm I'm always happy to uh, to be doing this. And I do look forward to uh, to a full year's worth of episodes in 2021. Absolutely, buddy. Well, those are our New Year's resolutions for 2021 in Magic and for ourselves and the podcast as a whole. Um, if you've got some resolutions that have anything to do with Magic, with Commander, with Group Hug, Politics, Grand Calcutron, trying to convince me that Stacks isn't terrible, whatever it is, drop them in our inbox, hit us at Twitter, and we'll be happy to see those. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with some advice for really all players, a couple of cards that need to get onto the table, uh, whether it's online or in the future in person. And then I have a much less complicated judges question for you based on what you told me that you're currently studying. So we'll be right back. Hey, it's present Mike filling in for past Mike. Our audio has gotten so much better. Thanks for sticking around with us. So we're going to talk about some cards that are really underplayed. We each think that we're bringing some really interesting cards to the table, and if you want to grab them or any other cards, you can help us out in the process. We have partnered with TCGplayer.com, so if you're looking for any singles, sealed product, deck boxes, sleeves, playmats, really anything to spice up your game experience, go to bit.ly slash EDH social or click on the link in our show notes. You don't pay anything extra, and you'll really help us out by buying all the things you are going to anyway. That's bit.ly slash EDH social or click the link in our show notes. Back to the show. So, Alex, mm -hmm. for our something old, something new, this is kind of over, just overarching advice for everybody. And, you know, at the end of the year podcast for us, this was the year of Commander. It was yeah. crazy. How many sets came out this year? How many oh new cards? Like, we had more ton. Commander this year than in the past three years combined. Right. And that's that's not even specifically just talking about, like, oh, look at the new pre-cons. Look at Commander Legends, the set that is specifically based on Commander. All, even just the format shifting to being more Commander-focused in mm -hmm. the regular set releases that they do. There were so many new cards. And it's something that I think is only going to be bigger in the future. Like, this is the norm as far as I'm concerned. Maybe it chills out a little bit next year, but Commander is the focus for Magic the Gathering, as far as I'm concerned. And what I'm going to advise all players is don't get caught up on the arms race on that. There are so many new cards. There's so much content. Our format is getting more popular than ever. Things are only going to get bigger. Relax. If you see a set that comes out with five new cards that you need in five new decks, that's totally fine. But if you are constantly buying cards every single time they come out and you are constantly changing your decks every single time that there's an opportunity if you're having fun with it that's great but don't feel the need to do it don't feel the need to well i have to get this 
because it belongs in X or Y deck. There's a reason that they made Jeweled Lotus and almost, I'd say a vast majority of anything that I've seen on it has been, no, why does this exist? Please don't. This is a card that now needs to go in decks if you have the availability for it, unless you don't. Just don't worry about it. Make the deck that makes you have a good time. If that means adding cards as soon as they come out, pre-ordering, all that good stuff, feel free. But don't feel the need to do it. Don't get locked into the arms race. What do you think, Alex? Mike, that's just excellent advice. And and we talked about that uh, when Jewel Lotus was uh, spoiled. We had kind of a similar conversation where, and this is a bit more directed towards veteran players, at some point you need to decide when your deck is powerful enough for your pod, for your meta, and for you personally. Because very similar to to Mike's advice, don't get caught up in the arms race. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not trying to get caught up in the arms race, and this is something I've experienced, simply by virtue of buying a few singles for your decks as they are released for each set, maybe you are only spending five, ten bucks a set, maybe even less than that, just buying a couple of singles that you thought were interesting. Over the course of uh, sets and months and years, your decks are ever so slowly becoming more optimized. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something that you need to be aware of and be thinking about. Because I think for the majority of Commander players, we have a specific power level that we like playing at. And we don't like playing too far below that or too far above that. It's like when you're driving in your car, right? Before the pandemic. If you're driving at whatever speed you're comfortable driving at, anyone who's driving slower than you is a Sunday driver, right? Like they don't know what they're doing and they just need to get out of your way so you can drive properly. And then anyone going faster than you is a maniac and they're going to get somebody killed, right? So it's it's <laughs> wherever you're comfortable with your power level, and wherever your pod's power level is, you need to, at some point, put your foot down and say, okay, my decks have become more optimal than the meta calls for, or I would like to power my decks down so that I don't win every time, but I still have fun with my pod. And and I think that's a big question, and, and sometimes it's a big realization that veteran players especially have to come to that's... My deck has become too optimal, too strong. And as I was saying, that can just happen completely by accident. Um, even if you don't intend to make it that strong. Yeah. Have you had that experience, Mike? Um, I, I, I've had some experiences of less, less with, you know, uh, my like committed play group. But when you sit, when you sit down in an LGS and, you know, again, the power level, the conversation of, oh, well, we're kind of running around this level. Oh, well, yeah, I've got something that runs around that level. And then it's you're sitting down with a CEDH player or something along those lines. Um, but I like the metaphor you were talking about when you're when when we're driving. 
because not only is it, oh, if someone's going too fast, well, ah, they're a maniac, or if someone's going too slow, you're going too slow, you gotta get on my way. The other thing that there is, is lanes, and routes, and <laughs> there are different ways that you can go, and you know what, if, again, if your playgroup is in the arms race, and they're locked into it, I'd bring it up if you're uncomfortable, just because, mm-hmm. hey, worst case scenario, they might be doing that because they think everybody else wants to do it. Just have that conversation. It's super easy. Um, but yeah, don't get locked in if you can help it. And if you want to get locked in, I mean, feel free. If that's your fun, that's your fun. Okay, so, Alex, a couple of cards that I want to talk about that I don't think ruin the arms race whatsoever because they're both older cards and... They are both cards that are not in nearly enough of decks. Uh, I like yours a lot, so why don't you go ahead and start us off in our... Ooh, can I see that? Sure, Mike. Uh, my card is Early Harvest. Yes. Which is a one green green for an instant that says target player untaps all basic lands they control. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about this pick is that I had not ever heard of it until like sometime last week or a couple of weeks ago and you were asking me which card i wanted to uh feature and uh, and i and i said early harvest and you said no way you stole mine because you told me that's what you were planning yeah (laughs) i've I've got Uh, this in three decks it's an awesome card and i got jealous and like nope he got dibs he called it (laughs) so this card is is Pretty much safe to say, exclusively run in stuff like mono green decks, things like that, where you target yourself and you untap a bunch of your basic lands and just go to town, right? Um, But that's not the only way this card can be used. It's not the only way the card should be used. In my opinion, a far more interesting way to use this card is for one of the most powerful things in the game of Magic. As I always say, donating mana, having the power to donate mana, and having the political angle that you can make another player's dreams come true on that turn. (laughs) Say, oh man, if only I had one or two more mana. And you could say, yeah, if you had one or two more mana, what would you do? Because we can make that happen. Yeah. Um, And of course, at that point, anything that would have been affecting you in a way that you don't like is immediately off the table, and you get to have a fun discussion about what they're going to be doing with this mana you're giving them. Um, anything that allows you to do that is really fun, and and these things are very few and far between, Mike. I love this kind of effect, mana donation, and it's just not that common. This card is in uh, 1,294 decks, which is uh, 1% of green decks, and I think... I think it's safe to say pretty much every single one of those decks is running that and they will always target themselves. And you don't have to. So this is from Mirage. It's very cheap. It's it's going for about a buck and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh and I think it's it's probably worth running in your in your political deck, Mike. Oh, for sure. And it it in a political deck it absolutely belongs in any kind of lands deck. It absolutely belongs. I've got this in uh, my, I've got this in my uh, two of my group hug decks. Now that I think about it, and I also have it in my uh, my Damia uh, lands deck because 
one of the win cons for that deck is to turn all my lands into big beefy boys and then swing out. And this is a way for me to say, okay, I'm going to spend all of the mana to turn them into big beefy boys. Then I'm going to untap them. Then I'm going to attack with them. So it's a nice variability on, hey, worst case scenario, if you want to double your mana for a turn, it's going to cost you three mana. Great. It, it's it's a really cool and variable card for something so simple as just like untap your basic lands. And I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of it. So good job by you. I appreciate that. Stole it right off from under you. Yep, you did. Um, and I got all excited because I was thinking for my card this week, I'm going to do Early Harvest. It's this cool card. It's going to be <laughs> real fun. So how do Grand I top like a leg. that? How do I top that? Well, let's go with a card that's in much less decks and <laughs> is on the on the reserve list and all these other things. Ding, ding, ding. And most importantly, is just the silliest boy. Uh, my card this week is Pygmy Hippo. Um, this is a green-blue creature hippo. That tracks. That's a, It's a 2-2. It says, whenever Pygmy Hippo attacks and isn't blocked, you may have Defending Player activate a mana ability of each land they control and lose all unspent mana. If you do, Pygmy Hippo assigns no combat damage this turn, and at the beginning of your next main phase this turn, you add an amount of colorless mana equal to the amount of mana that player lost this way. That is a whole lot of words to say when Pygmy Hippo hits somebody, you can choose to have it do no combat damage, tap all lands that a player controls and take mana for as much uh, lands as they can as they tap that is such a silly effect on this silly little hippo and i i I absolutely encourage people to look up this card because it just looks like a happy boy he just looks like a happy hippo (laughs) and i love this card because it's not only is this something where if I'm doing the politics game with it and I say, hey, I have a really big play that's going to help us take down the arch enemy, but I need four more mana. Can I hit you with my hippo and take four more mana from you, please? It's also a really good way in the worst case to... If you've got a big play that you want to make in your second main phase, but there's the Urza player, or there's... Well, the Urza player doesn't work so much with this. But there's there's a mono-blue deck that is super controlly and uh, a permission deck. Well, I want to turn that off for a turn. I'm going to hit them. This is in 79 decks. So <laughs> there's, there's not a whole lot of people running the Pygmy Hippo. And yes, it's on the reserve list, but it's like a $2 card. I... I'm a big fan of the little hippo. What do you think, Alex? Absolutely, Mike. Uh, this card is very silly and very fun. He's so and silly you're right. and cute. It's, it's one of the cheapest cards on the reserve list. Um, so let's. There's a lot of there's a lot of little rules things that I'd like to talk about with this card. Mm-hmm. Um, starting with the trigger, right? Whenever pygmy hippo attacks and isn't blocked. What does that actually mean? 
So typically when you see a clause like that, say whenever a creature attacks, typically that means whenever it's declared as an attacker, which happens during the declare attacker step, which is the, the second step of combat right after the beginning of combat step. So typically when it has that clause, whenever a creature attacks, um, that means when it's declared as an attacker in the declare attacker step, which is uh, right after the beginning of combat step. So, for example, if you flash this out, tapped and attacking, if it only had that clause, it wouldn't work because attacks means declared as an attacker. However, the clause that Pygmy Hippo has, which says whenever Pygmy Hippo attacks and isn't blocked, that doesn't trigger on the declare attacker step. That triggers on the declare blocker step. Which means that if by uh, some magical means you are able to to flash out Pygmy Hippo tapped and attacking. You said um, magical means. Magical means. <laughs> if you're able to do that and Pygmy Hippo isn't blocked, then it still counts. Because what's actually happening is the rules are checking, is Pygmy Hippo attacking? And during the declare blocker step, has anybody declared Pygmy Hippo uh, a blocker to, to block Pygmy Hippo? And if the answer is uh, yes to the first and no to the second, it doesn't matter how Pygmy Hippo started attacking, it's going to trigger. And when it does, here's the effect, you may have defending player activate a mana ability of each land they control. Right. Real quick, we'll go over what a mana ability is. That's any ability that's a uh, activated ability that isn't a loyalty ability of a Planeswalker, and there's no Planeswalker lands, so that doesn't really apply. Um, it doesn't target, so you can't have uh, any any target anywhere in that ability. And uh, finally, it could put mana into a player's mana pool when that ability resolves. Um, so that's going to cover almost every mana uh, generating ability that a land could have, but there are some edge cases. And the next step is after they activate those mana abilities, they'll lose all unspent mana that they that they have. Um, it's worth mentioning, there's a reason why this card is so cheap, um, and that's because in response to this trigger, a player can tap, if they so choose, right. uh, any number of their lands. And if they, if they do that, then you're kind of hosed. Now, if if they're not thinking very clearly, right? <laughs> if they're not thinking, if they're not thinking very clearly, and they tap those lands in response to the trigger being put on the stack, which means they do it in the declare blocker step, then they've kind of they've done themselves in because unless they have uh, instant speed spells in hand or mana sinks on the battlefield. It doesn't matter that they've tapped all their lands for mana because that mana is still in their mana pool when the trigger resolves and they lose all unspent mana. So if they want to sort of preempt this card, they're going to want to empty their mana pool prior to the declare blocker step, which they absolutely can and will do. Um, so that's probably why the card is so cheap, but we're not going for magical christmas land where we no, hope they make no. a misplay we're going for like mike said the political deal hey i need some extra mana to do this really important thing right 
may I hit you for zero damage. And tap your lands out. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to get a yes, because sometimes you need to deal with the arch enemy. Um, <laughs> so I think that that basically uh, covers all of the, the little rules and intricacies. That's all I wanted to add to that card. It's an excellent pick, Mike. It's such a silly card. He's such a cute boy. And it's... I, my, I, like, all of that said, I think my favorite thing about this card is the fact that it's just a 2-2 hippo. Because it's it's... It's literally asking you to make a deal. Hey, can I hit you for two? That's it. No, it's for zero. <laughs> oh yeah, it's for zero. You're right. That's yeah. I, I totally I totally just whiffed on that. Uh yeah, so it's it's even like a hey, I'm just gonna hit you. It's 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 not even gonna do damage to you. Everything's fine. You're it, if you can get this to a point where you're talking to the player on your left, I'm not gonna do anything terrible to you. I'm just gonna deal with some of the threats that are out there aside from you, and then I pass to you, everything's fine. It, it's, I love to pygmy hippo. <sighs> so those are some cards that we're, we're pretty happy about existing in the format, and we need to see them in the world a little bit more. Um, for our judges' corner this week, I, speaking of attack triggers and weird things that happen, so I have a personal one this week. Alex, you are aware that I have a Victus deck. Yes. The, the dragon that likes to attack and when it attacks. Let's let's go ahead and read that out. Yeah. So we have the Victus Osmati the Dire. Yeah. Which is three black, red, green, legendary creature, elder dragon. Uh it's a six six with flying. Whenever the Victus attacks for each player, choose target permanent that player controls. Those players sacrifice those permanents. Each player who sacrificed a permanent this way reveals the top card of their library, then puts it onto the battlefield if it's a permanent card. Right. So it's Chaos Warp. Yeah. It's it's a it's a Chaos Warp on a stick, except for you sacrifice instead of shuffle things in. Which is great, because there's a lot of things that I can't destroy. Like, this is great playing against all the indestructible gods and stuff like that. That's it. There are times where I won't pick the best thing on the board to get rid of because I don't want to go through the mental gymnastics of, well, when I kill my Solemn Simulacrum, it says I draw a card. I don't remember if I draw a card before or after I've done the Vivictus slip. And this other player has a Blood Artist, and I'm going to kill one of his creatures, but then I don't remember if his Blood Artist triggers before the flip after the flip during the flip do i resolve my stuff first does he resolve his stuff first? well this person's got a karmic justice so i don't even you know what vivictus is just going to sit back and not do anything this turn because i don't and i don't like that alex i'd i'd rather put extra combats into my vivictus deck rather than take them away so help me out how how do you resolve things on the stack when it is an ability like this that says when A, do B, but there's other interactions that happen in between. Help me out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an excellent question, Mike, because we, we want to make sure that you're picking the best stuff with Vivictus and not being afraid to get rid of important things. So we've read what the card does. Yes. The most important thing to recognize here is that triggered abilities like ETBs and LTBs that might be relevant 
when things are sacrificed, when things get flipped, all of those things will wait to trigger until the next player would receive priority. And it'll go on the stack before they do. Okay. And the second big thing is app-nap, which maybe you've heard before. That's active player, non-active player. And that's the mnemonic device that we use to remember that triggers go on the stack in turn order. So let's say that Victus uh, is going to hit one thing for each player, and there's four players. Um, every player is going to sacrifice all of their stuff, and then you're going to do all of the flips. And then, after that is finished resolving, you will put all of your triggers on the stack in any order you want. So any triggers that you got from you sacrificing something, something dying, something entering the battlefield, any of those triggers in any order you like. Okay. And then the next player after you, the next player in turn order, will put all of their triggers on the stack above yours in any order they like, and so on and so on, until you reach the player that's right before you in the turn order, and they will put their things on the stack in any order they like. And then... The stack will start to resolve unless anyone, of course, has any uh, anything to add to it or interact with it. But assuming they don't, it's going to resolve uh, last in, first out, which means the player that put their stuff onto the stack most recently, the player right before you, will resolve all of their triggers first in the order that they chose them. And then it will go back around the table in reverse player order. And finally, you, the Victus's controller, will resolve your triggers last. Okay. Does that make sense, Mike? That does. Okay, so I resolve Evictus's ability and everything that happens from that happening then goes in reverse order from me with everything going onto the stack and then coming back down. Okay, that makes sense. Well, now my playgroup, uh, be prepared because I'm going to play this deck a lot more often. Because <laughs> I, really like, I really like that I, I, it's so it's such a fun political card. If you're looking Absolutely. for a commander that's weird, and you want to get into politics, but you also don't know how to start, just go with Evictus. Holy cow, he's a fun swingy boy. Uh, um, go ahead. We have one edge case worth yeah. mentioning, and that is uh, that Evictus must choose a target permanent for each player. Yep. Right. So if there's any player where either they have no permanents or they have no permanents that can be legally targeted, maybe their only permanents are hexproof or all of their permanents are hexproof, the entire ability will fail to resolve. Hmm. Okay. So if somebody has, uh, what, privileged position, or and then they've also made, or something like and they've that. also made privileged position hexproof with like heroic intervention, yeah, then that player... Uh, has no legal targets, if if whatever means, um, and permanent includes lands and and tokens. So if any of those are legal, then you're good. You can pick any of those. But if there's no choice that's a legal target for any player, the whole thing fails. Because you must have every target be uh, be legal, right? When when you put this ability on the stack now. If 
one of those becomes an illegal target, that's okay. Okay. Right? The ability will resolve if somebody heroic interventions while it's resolving, um, because then one or more targets have become illegal, but not all targets. If every player uses heroic intervention, <laughs> right, and everything becomes hexproof, then the ability will be removed from the stack and fail to resolve. But what I'm talking about specifically is uh, if somebody's stuff is already hexproof right. and you can't choose any of their permanents as a target when this ability triggers, not when it goes to resolve, that's when, well, you're out of luck. You can't do it because you have to choose one for every player, Mike. Well, joke's on you, Alex. I'm going to edit all of that out because I don't want my playgroup to know that. Fair enough. (laughs) No, no, no. That's that's totally fair. And that actually, that is something that I wasn't aware of. Uh, I I know. I mean, I knew. Obviously, I can't choose the shrouded or hexproof permanence. But if I don't have a legal target for Vivictus for every player, then okay, Mm -hmm. fair enough. Well, Vivictus just went from a nine point five out of ten for fun into like a 9.4 like it, it, I'm, I'm still I, I love this deck that's going to be a pretty uncommon situation usually yeah, oh, they're gonna sure. usually they're gonna uh, um, have something that you can target yeah. yeah there's there's gonna be a lot more times that somebody is just gonna blow up Evictus before combat than, right and me actually being able to stop that uh, but I love chaos warping every every time and when you when you do the Vivictus Asmati flip and you flip a possibility storm and just say, hey, everybody, we are playing oh, random Lord. from here on out. Uh, that can be... So you'll play, you'll play Chaos, but you won't play Stacks. I'll play Selective Chaos. Yes. Chaos is just silly Stacks. That, so, okay. You're not wrong, <laughs> but hear me out. Shut up. Anyway, right. Alex, thanks for helping me out. Of course, uh, Mike. It's always a pleasure. I will uh, see you in 2021. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Eventually, <laughs> um, we well, are. I'll talk to you in 2021. Yeah, there is that. So, everybody, uh, thank you for joining us this year. We hope that you're safe. We hope that you're having fun. And you know what? Go into the new year looking forward to changes. Um, we love. The game, the game is constantly changing, but we'll always be here to talk it out with you. Have a good time.